Welcome to the All Things Work podcast from the Society for Human Resource Management. I'm your host, Tony Lee, Head of Editorial Operations here at CHIRM, and thank you for joining us. If this is your first time listening to the show, then welcome. All Things Work is a bi-weekly audio adventure during which we talk with HR thought leaders and tastemakers to give you an insider's perspective on all things work. Joining me today is my good friend, Paul Falcone. Paul is the Vice President of HR at the Motion Picture and Television Fund in Woodland Hills, California, and he's the author of many, many books on HR, many of which have been bestsellers that I'm sure our listeners have seen and hopefully read. He's a dear friend of mine, a dear friend of Sherm's, and now a friend of this podcast. Well, Paul, I'm sure you, me, everyone has had to deal with an employee or a coworker whose demeanor can really poison the workplace. And it can be tricky because, you know, these employees aren't necessarily bad at their jobs. It's just that the way they interact with others is, is damaging. I mean, maybe even more so than an underperforming worker. So what do you suggest in terms of dealing with somebody's attitude problem when it's become a real issue in the workplace? I know you've got three points you want to cover, so why don't you go ahead and lay those out? It's funny. It's one of the biggest issues that I hear as a human resources practitioner, obviously. People will bring those kinds of issues to me all the time. There's three key points that I want to make on this one because they're easy to follow as long as people don't forget it. The first thing I'll talk about is the term attitude itself. Um, second thing I want to talk about is the most important word of this podcast, which is the word perception. And we're going to talk about how to use perception in the context of when someone has a quote unquote bad attitude. And the third point I'd like to make has to do with disciplinary documentation and how to put this stuff in writing. All right, great. So so let's get into it, Paul. You, you said the first point you're going to cover is the actual term attitude. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say we should probably remove that term from our lexicon. So as we open this up, the first point is actually fairly easy. Don't use the term attitude. Don't use it verbally or don't use it in writing. Attitude is a fighting word. Uh, you tell someone they've got a bad attitude, their initial reaction is, I don't have a bad attitude. You have a bad attitude. And, and it just kind of degrades from there. Um, the other thing I would say is in terms of your documentation, um, attitude is not something you want to write someone up for. So we'll talk about that, that more in a moment. The word that you want to use is either conduct or you can use the word behavior. Um, those are fine words. You can talk to someone about their conduct or their behavior, but you don't want to talk to them about their attitude. So that's point one. Right. Well, well, that makes sense, Paul. So, so what is it about the word perception that makes it the most important term we're going to hear on the podcast today? Point two, when it comes to perception, um, when you're dealing with bad attitude, a lot of times it's silent behaviors, right? It's this antagonistic body language. Um, and managers, I always say, you know, the path of least resistance is avoidance. People just hope these things go away on their own. And so managers tend to sweep it under the rug um, because it's hard to deal with, and I get it. But the word perception is not right or wrong. It's just like feelings, right? If you say you feel a certain way, no one's going to come back to you and say you have no right to feel that way. Your feelings are your feelings. Well, the same thing with the word perception. Um, they used to call them PR firms, public relations firms. Now they call them perception management firms. It's the same type of thing. Perception is reality until proven otherwise. And one of the things as a manager that you have the right to do is to sit with someone and say, you know, with all due respect, you may have a perception problem on your hands, but I have to hold you accountable 
for your own perception management. We're all responsible for that. And it's not a matter of what your intentions are. It's a matter of how it's coming across to other people. So that goes back to the third grade rule. It's not what you say. It's uh, not what you say, but, but how you say it. And if you think about it, when you talk about, from my vantage point, you sometimes appear to be angry. Um, others have shared that same concern with me. And, you know, if you'll allow me to be your mentor and your coach through this, I want to help you through this because we can tackle it together. Um, but it may be something that's holding you back now or could hold you back over the long term. So, you know, let me help you through that. Um, the other point that I bring up along these lines is what I call the performance conduct circle. If you and I, I do this with employees, you draw a circle on a piece of paper and you just cut it in half. And so you cut that circle in half and in the top half of the circle, you write the word performance. And in the bottom half of the circle, you write the word conduct. And you say, listen, this is not about your performance. The top half of the circle is fine. That's not what we're talking about here. But the conduct, the behavior at the bottom half of the circle is what's an issue. And that's what I really need your help in solving here because it's not fair to the rest of us. No one should have to feel like they have to walk on eggshells around anyone on the team and, and truth be told, you're just as responsible as I am for creating a friendly and an inclusive work environment. It doesn't matter how good your performance is. If your performance is great, but the conduct isn't where it needs to be, you're only fulfilling half of the circle. And half of the circle means you're not meeting expectations. You wouldn't pass a performance review. You're responsible for the entire circle. The performance is one thing. The conduct, the behavior is just as important to me because that's what builds the camaraderie and the teamwork and everything else. So um, I really would expect you to become a role model for how to turn these things around and, and demonstrate to everyone else that, uh, you know, there's a new you, there's a U 2.0, and I'd like to help you get there. So again, it comes across as a coaching opportunity, a mentor and a coach as opposed to a disciplinarian and that sort of thing. But when you hold them accountable for their own perception management, they really can't come back and say, well, you have no right to, to ask that of me because everyone has the right to ask that of anyone on a team. Um, you mentioned earlier, Paul, that a lot of times meetings about conduct and behavior are a prelude to, to further disciplinary action and how a formal conversation often allows for documentation of conduct and behavior issues. So why is documentation so important and what are the things that managers should do and avoid during this process? Okay, the third and the final bullet has to do with the disciplinary documentation and when you need to put this stuff in writing. The first thing I would say is do not use the term attitude in writing. As I alluded to a little bit earlier, courts, arbitrators, judges, they don't like when they see someone who is written up or terminated because they've got a quote-unquote bad attitude. Historically, most judges and arbitrators have they simply chalked that up to differences in communication styles but it doesn't really rise to the level of, is this a legitimate termination for cause or is this a legitimate disciplinary warning just because they have a bad attitude? So what I would say is, number one, paint a picture of the behavior, paint a picture of the conduct. You could put, for example, today in our weekly staff meeting, when I introduced the new software upgrade, you rolled your eyes, you harumphed out loud, and you stated in a confrontational manner that the company is wasting everyone's time, blah, 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 blah. You know, and, and so you paint that picture when you're doing the documentation. The other thing I'd say about documentation, which people forget a lot of times, 
is don't use the terms always and never. That really hurts your documentation. Paul, you always raise your voice. Paul, you are never supportive. That's not the way you want to put documentation in place. You can word, use the words sometimes. You can use the words at times, but those are better descriptors. You don't want to come across as a hothead in your documentation. And the final hint when it comes to documentation is meet with the employee first before issuing corrective action. Basically, you want to incorporate their feedback. One of the things that looks good is in when you're documenting discipline, if you say, Paul, when I asked you about why you seemed so frustrated when I introduced the idea of the new software upgrade, comma, you stated dot, 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 put that all in there. It shows that you listened before you rushed to judgment. It makes a much better record to protect the company and insulate it from liability should your discipline ever be challenged. And, and the final thought is when you conclude your written warning, you'll want to use clear consequences, something along the lines of, you know, failure to demonstrate immediate and sustained improvement may result in further disciplinary action up to and including dismissal. That type of, you know, clear consequential language is, is important, but it's missing in a lot of employers' uh, progressive discipline. So you need to make sure that the consequences of an action are very clear, something you can point to on a piece of paper, because when you're doing that disciplinary documentation, you're doing it for the employee, of course, but you have to understand you may need to pull that out nine months from now and sell it to a jury. The documentation becomes critical and how you paint a picture with words, how you don't appear to be using words like always and never, which is never true. I mean, they probably do it sometimes and they do it more often than not, but always and never will get you in trouble. When you put the documentation that way, um, usually the problems go away. In a union environment, uh, they won't take it to arbitration, even if they try and grieve it. They, they won't take it that far. And in a you know, wrongful termination type of lawsuit, your discipline does, your speaking, does the speaking for you. And so you can rely on it that way. Yeah, the legal considerations are significant. Uh, that, that can't be undersold in all of this. So let's shift gears a little bit, if you don't mind, uh, Paul. I, I want to get into the mind of a manager who's preparing to have this formal conversation. You're preparing to explain to an employee the dichotomy between their performance and their conduct, which seems like a very difficult conversation to have. Um, making it even more challenging is that most employees who have issues with their conduct or behavior, they often don't perceive that they do. Or if they do perceive it, they're, they're going to argue about it. So how can a manager prepare themselves for a conversation like this? Because hopefully they don't have to do it very often. So any advice you can provide would be very helpful. You're right. I agree with you that people are going to resist it a lot of times. But so much of it, it goes back to it's not what you say, but how you say it. And if what you're talking about is more about um, objectively acknowledging what's going on without judging them for it, people don't want to be judged. I always say that I'm about the what so, I'm not about the so what. In other words, I'm about the observation of what's going on without the judgment piece of it, right? You, you, you've heard of situations where this gets out of control and the manager says, you've got such a bad you know, attitude and the employee says, no, you've got a bad attitude and it blows up. And, and the reason why that happens is there's not enough strategy given to the conversation in advance. I think you have to have that blueprint in your mind. But if you understand that you're talking about perception, so it's not right or wrong, it just is, right? And you're using terms like, from my vantage point, this is how it appears to me at times. It's very hard for them to say, no, you have no right to that. 
Now, some may, right? It depends on how evolved they are spiritually. It depends on how much um, business maturity they have. I get all that. But when the manager says, if I can be your mentor and coach, Paul, I kind of want to help you through this. We can tackle it together. It may be missing awareness, but I do have to hold you accountable for your own perception management because truth be told, you're just as responsible as I am for creating a friendly and inclusive work environment. It's very, very hard for the employee to come back on that one and say, no, you have no right to tell me what you just told me. So there may be some of it, I agree with you, but for the most part, when it's presented the right way, they typically hear it in the, in the spirit that it was meant. And you can take that as a, as a constructive intervention, a constructive conversation that they can do something with. All right. So, so the bottom line is this is not an ad hoc conversation. This is something that's planned out. Um, you don't do it in the elevator. You don't do it in the hallway. You know, this is a formal conversation. Yeah, I would. Well, I would say it should be a formal conversation because typically this is a prelude to progressive discipline. When you're having this kind of talk with someone, it usually starts verbally, whether you call it a coaching session or a documented verbal warning, or, or I should say an undocumented verbal warning. If the problem keeps up, they could be disciplined and it could result in their termination for cause. So I don't take it lightly, but I do think that most people know when they're being bad. Most people know when they're moody. Most people know when they don't want to be bothered with other human beings. And this attitude shows itself in so many different ways. Managers have a hard time when they come to me and they say, well, Paul, I don't know how to open up the can of worms. And the best way I would say is talk about your feelings. How do they come? How does it come across to you? You're the manager. You don't have to yell at them. I don't think people are going to respond well to that. That's judgmental. And that just raises confrontation. That's not the goal. But when you can use terms like, this is the perception that you're creating in my eyes, it's hard for them to say, no, that's not true. And when you say, I'm holding you accountable for your own perception management and creating a friendly work environment, they don't really have the discretion to say, no, I don't think I'm going to do that because then you could terminate them. Um, you know what I mean? They have to do this. This is their responsibility. It's everyone's responsibility. You're just kind of reestablishing those, those, those norms. And the truth of the matter is a lot of people feel like they can get away with it because no one's going to do anything about it, which is oftentimes the case until the new manager comes and then meets me in human resources and says, I really need your help. Could you coach me how to open up the conversation? Doing it this way gives them a blueprint of what to expect. We could do a little role play in my office if they feel more comfortable, but the bottom line is they've got their talking points and you always feel more confident when you've got some talking points going into a conversation like this. Well, thank you so much, Paul. That, that's going to do it for this edition of All Things Work. Uh, a big thank you to Paul Falcone for joining me and sharing his strategy for dealing with conduct and behavior issues in the workplace. Now, before we get out of here, I want to encourage everyone to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Because if you're an HR professional, you know how important feedback is. And also, be sure to check out Sherm on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And you can find all of our episodes and more podcasts, including Honest HR, on our website at sherm.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on All Things Work. Mm-hmm.